three, two, one. Here we go, friends. I am here today with Richard and Autumn, both representing uh, good friends of mine, an organization called Faith Driven Entrepreneur, or FDE, as you may hear us lovingly refer to it. Uh, I'll let them explain what they do, but as always, we've got to start off with the fun fact. So, Richard, what can we not Google about you? Yeah, Binge, delighted to be on. Tuning in from scorching hot Austin, Texas today. And I think my fun fact is actually I'm going to give credit to my wife. And that is I married a girl who was one of nine kids. And so when I've got a mother who was one of 10 kids and I married a woman who was one of nine kids, the important ladies in my life come from massive families. So family gatherings in my world are a lot of fun. But great to be here today, man. Wow. Wow. Autumn, how about you? Um, yeah. Hey, good to be here as well. I'm coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. So not quite as hot as the, the Texas wastelands we'll call them um all right so i was trying to think like what literally isn't on google um and there's not a lot there's probably too much about me out there but uh one of the things that i use for a fun fact is i I was in the peace corps for a couple years and there is an official rule in the peace corps handbook because of me Uh, i got dengue fever also known as breakbone fever, twice while I was over there. You can look it up. It's a terrible thing. They're starting to get a little bit of it done in Florida and some other places. But now if you get dengue fever twice, you're automatically sent home because um, it's just too hard to keep going. So I'm the only person who's kind of finished my Peace Corps service after getting dengue twice. <laughs> that sounds like an awful way to go out. <laughs> oh, that's a new one for me even. We're coworkers. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. It just popped in my head, you know? So that we can uh, know you and know your perspective, will you tell us a little about FDE and the roles that you guys play there? Autumn, I'll let you start. Yeah, so faith-driven entrepreneur, and I'm going to throw in there, and faith-driven investor. It's one organization really with two sides of the coin. We serve two different audiences. Um, And we are a ministry that's really focused on content, community, and connection for entrepreneurs and for investors. So our co-founders are Henry Kastner and Justin Foreman. Henry is a very successful entrepreneur. He's taken a company public called Bandwidth uh, and really launched Faith Driven Entrepreneur as a way to I say Henry does nothing small. So to mentor and to share um, the lessons learned that he had and provide resources for entrepreneurs at scale. Um, And so a lot of what we do is in the media realm. Uh, So similar to this, we have the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and also the Faith Driven Investor podcast and blogs. And we do a lot of video work. Our other co-founder, Justin Foreman, came out of Right Now Media, um, which folks may or may not know as uh, I like to call the Netflix of kind of Bible studies. (laughs) Um, And then we kind of took that and we said, hey, you know, it's one thing to take in this content on your own, but really like change and and forward progress and encouragement happens um, when you're hanging out with other entrepreneurs who are either at the same place you are or further down the road or a little bit behind you um, where you can sharpen each other and encourage one another. And so we started faith driven entrepreneur groups. Um, that meet, you know, for an initial eight weeks and then keep going as long as they want to. 
Uh, we've got something similar for investors as well. And then we have a space where we try to um, really connect entrepreneurs and investors to partners who are um, providing services that they might need, and then also to one another. Um, you know, investors are key to a lot of entrepreneurs' growth, and so we want to make sure that both sides of that equation that we're talking to that to to them. So can go deeper on any part of that, but that's I think Richard, unless I missed something, that's the broad overview. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll hop in real quick from kind of you know you hear the faith driven portion of FDE and FDI, and kind of ask the question, what what's that all about? And so you know. Oftentimes, the crowd that we get to engage with comes to us and they say, hey, at church on Sundays, I don't feel like people understand my work. And at work, Monday through Friday, I often feel like people don't understand my faith. And now once, let me be very explicitly clear, our heart as a ministry is not to replace the local church. We have an incredible hope and belief in the local church. We know God's hope for the world and plan for the world comes through the local church. But what we desire for is to kind of be that community Monday through Friday for people, especially entrepreneurs, because they're not working eight to five. We all know that they are, you know, they, they are putting forth everything, all the chips on the table into their work. And so we want to be a kind of a, a community and a, a flag out there planted for folks who are passionate about their, their Christian faith. And, and really, you know, the creation mandates going back to the Bible here now in Genesis are um, be fruitful and multiply is what God told Adam and Eve when he put them in the garden and fill the earth and subdue it. And we believe that, God created a good world, but he invited us into those mandates and that he invited us into stewardship of this world and that we get to partner with him and co-create with him in the perfecting and the creation of this world. He made a good world that he invites us to join him to make better. And so that's why we think entrepreneurship is getting to do that. It's taking good ideas and making them better. It's co-creating. And so we worship a God who creates. And that's what this ministry is all about, is drawing those people in into community and letting them kind of experience more of the gospel more fully. All right. So um, I warned you of our format. Our listeners out there know what's coming, but the top three things that are on your mind, uh, I think you guys have a super unique perspective from the seats that you're sitting in. So I'm excited to hear what's on your mind. Who's kicking us off? Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to. So I'm going to go to the, I'll let Autumn jam on the faith-driven entrepreneur side of the coin. So let me quickly hit on the faith-driven investor side of the coin. And that is, you know, if you look at and you zoom out um, at global financial capital markets, there's $120 trillion, and it's a, you know, a, just a silly number, in a managed financial assets across the globe. Our estimation, if you just look at normal kind of population demographics, is that Christians control somewhere between 20 and 40 trillion of those dollars. That's a lot of money, but globally, kind of keep zooming in a little bit further, $250 billion is really all that is in faith-driven or redemptive investment products. Now, here's the deal. That's not to say the trillions and trillions of dollars that aren't in those faith-driven products are evil per se. Um, they're actually, might, they might be in really, really well-caused, well-intentioned you know, investment products, capital deployed towards kind of redemptive investment companies. But for the most part, what we see is a lot of these kind of impact measurements and values kind of things going on, they follow mainstream culture. And, and, and it feels like the Christians have kind of said, hey, I'm going to just kind of yield my desire for impact to someone else. But yet we firmly believe that every investment has an impact. It's just a matter of whose hand is the impact in. And so our heart is with those massive size of dollars 
um, to wake the believers up that, hey, God owns it all. And you get to partner with him, as we were just saying, in the in the stewardship and the kind of co-creation of this earth. And so what does it look like to go wield that impact and not yield it? So that's a big problem. We could double click on that for days and days and days. But that's one of the main things we're thinking about is regardless of what asset class you're sitting in, whether it's public markets as a financial advisor, asset manager, real estate, private equity, venture capital, um, direct investing, maybe you love angel investing. Um, what does it look like to thoughtfully think through how your Christian faith informs um, your stewardship approach, you know, the, the faith-driven side of faith-driven investors? So that's something we're jamming on a lot, thinking about a lot, creating content towards community around. Um, and Autumn, I'll flip it over to you to let you kind of speak more to the FDE side of things. Well, hold on. Let me ask one question. Yeah, on, Bring it on. You used a word in there a couple times that I would have to make an assumption of what you mean. The word redemptive. I'm, I'm guessing you have a pretty strong definition there. You know, so that's a really great question. And honestly, um, it's going to be convicting when I say I don't. And I'm going to kind of do like one of those, like put it back on you binge type situations. But one of the things we say in the faith driven investor world is this is not a prescriptive or presumptuous movement. And what I mean by that is that the, the calling that God has placed on each individual believer's heart looks very different for Richard and my wife, Marshall Cunningham, than it does for Ben, you and your family, and Autumn, you and yours. Now, I think from a redemptive standpoint, there are things that we just kind of quickly avoid. So let's, let's go to public markets real quick. You've got money and your everyday traditional mutual fund or ETF. You know, I think it's, it's worth for people of faith to go look at that money and say, hey, what am I invested in? What is that mutual fund invested in? And there's probably things you'd want to avoid. You know, maybe as a believer, it's um, adult entertainment companies that, that, that mutual fund might be allocating capital towards. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea my portfolio touched that. Or maybe it's cigarette and tobacco companies. And you're sitting there saying, I, this is not something I stand for, but I'm actually passively pushing capital towards it because I'm kind of just asleep at the wheel and just right. looking to collect 10% of, you know, the market's return, if you will. So I think there are aspects that collectively people of faith should feel convicted towards avoiding. But then when it comes to redemptive, I think God has, you know, equipped each of us uniquely and differently and individually um, to go after respective asset classes or whatever it might be. Um, and, and what redemptive looks like, you know, for example, Henry, our founder, loves the venture capital early stage investing ecosystem. He gets great life in being an angel investor into a seed stage entrepreneur in East Africa and saying, hey, I want at the earliest stages to fuel your journey and walk with you. And the first hire you make, I want to be a part of that conversation. I want to be a part of what type of culture you're building. But we know other folks who are investing in public market strategies who are managing, you know, hundreds of millions, billions, trillions of dollars and what type of impact do they get to really have from that far away? Um, and maybe they look at the landscape quite differently in terms of how they can impact culture and be a proxy voter from afar. So I think that word redemptive starts on your hands and knees with your spouse in prayer. And the manifestation of it is different for everyone. I'll finish here, and I, and I promise I'll land this plan here in a second. One of the Bible teachings we use often in the world of faith-driven investing is the parable of the talents. And yeah, if you don't know the parable, the talents, God goes to, you know, in the story, Jesus is telling this parable, the, um, the, the master goes to his servants and says, hey, I'm going to give one of you one, one talent, two talents, or five talents, kind of this unit, this measure of currency. The one with five goes out and doubles it, makes 10. 
And he's told, well done, good and faithful servant. That is great investing. The one with two goes out and doubles it, makes four. Well done, good and faithful servant. The one with one comes back and says, master, I was afraid of you. I just pretty much hid it under my mattress. Here's your one talent back. And the master says, you wicked servant. What have, like, what have you done? You've squandered the opportunity here to go multiply. So here's the unique thing that we talk about oftentimes in the faith of investing movement is we don't go actually out and see what the other servants did to multiply their talents. And, and so I think that's like the, the creative joy and, and, and just the story that we all get to live in, right? Is that you're invited in to go do the thing that you, you might be gifted in, that you might be uniquely called to, but it, that's not prescriptive. But what is prescriptive is why stewardship coming back and saying, master, look what I did with your resources. So there's my really long way to define redemptive slash not define redemptive bench. Uh, well, I, two things. One, I'm a c- convicted about probably being in some funds that I don't know what's in them. And two, I love, I've, I've probably heard that parable a hundred times, um, mm. but never caught the insight that it, it was personal and private what was done for that multiplication. So thank you. I'm, I'm going to take that away with me. Hey, listener, we don't spend much time talking about ourselves on this podcast because we want to really be bringing you new ideas from outside sources for inspiration, for your own leadership, for your own organization. And we don't like talking about ourselves, but we're going to let somebody else talk about us for a second and brag on us. And I hope this gives you a little insight into what System and Soul is doing in the businesses that we're getting to work with. I'm in love with this whole new framework because anything that I do is always about soul. And I've never been able to marry process and the soul of an organization together. And this is the first time that I feel like I have the ability to do that. I've been a part of the EOS journey for many, many years. I've worked in it in nonprofit. Of course, when I joined Orbis, I've been through several different implementers. Um, and the evolution of the system and soul framework is just brilliant for me um, because it's just, yeah, we have to care about culture. We have to care about these things called values. It's more than just some plaque on a wall. They're, you know, it's just not some talking point that we say to employees when they first start applying. Like it has to be, we have to live, we have to breathe, we have to show by example. Um, and this is the first time that I've ever been able to really like embrace that and then have a, a ground to stand on when I'm having really difficult conversations about the direction of our business, then it's just been, it's been really exciting. If you want to discover breakthrough in your business by becoming a system and soul coach or finding one of our coaches to help your business, you can always learn more at systemandsoul.com. Autumn, Mm -hmm. you're ready to chime in. I can tell. Well, the benefit of going after Richard is that he's inspiring and I've now got like 14 more things to say, but uh, just he's just also such a great conveyor of a message. So let's talk about the entrepreneur side of things. I think one of the things we've been really um, just as a big overarching idea thinking about is um the decline of trust in our institutions generally, right? Like, I think we all kind of know this uh, decline of trust 
particularly in America, I think, I don't know if this would go globally, but decline of trust in, in government, decline of trust in celebrities, decline of trust in our churches even, um, and to some degree in, in business owners, but I think that there is like this rise of um, entrepreneurs and business owners as a, a place where there is an amount of trust um, and as a culture shaper, an opportunity um, for someone who is an entrepreneur, who owns a family business, who's scaling a large scale business to have a deep impact on culture. And how do you then build that trust um, within your business, within your brand, by how you treat people, um, by how you create what you're creating. Because I think we talk about, hey, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, we're, we're called to create, and that's a reflection of God as the creator. Um, but how you create that and who you, <laughs> who you either steamroll or serve along the way makes a big difference in the trust that um, people are going to extend to you and to your brand. And so just that kind of vacuum of trust that we have in our culture and the opportunity for a entrepreneur to to be seen as a leader as a culture shaper as a trusted entity i think it's huge and the other thing we've been talking about a lot, especially in our community, the people that we generally see are what we would consider main street entrepreneurs. Um, so your smaller businesses, people with who have 10 employees or less. And so they're not your, you know, um, folks who are always seeking the, the venture capital. And yet, like, if you're someone's boss, if you're the employer, if you're the owner, like you're, I've, I've heard Henry say this a couple of times, like you're the conversation, people are having conversation about you at their dinner table. Um, and so the impact that by word or by deed, the way that you care for your employees, minister to them, that that, that can have. Um, so I think that's just kind of as a culture shaper, as a, as a place where people are turning to place more trust. Um, that's one kind of conversation we're having um, about entrepreneurship. Um, and even, I guess, as an aside about that, just the way that it's become cool, entrepreneurship is now cool. <laughs> Thanks, Shark Tank. Um, you know, it's no longer like, what are you doing if you start your own business? That's seen as a, as a, as a win, as a benefit. And so how we step into that as believers can, you know, you know really make a difference. Um, and so I, I think the second piece that, like, because of where I live, we talk about a lot is the community part. So I get to talk to, <laughs> I kind of sit in a, in, a, in a space in between investors and entrepreneurs and have conversations on both sides of that. Almost to a person, when I talk to an entrepreneur, either they will say to me or I'll say to them, you know, hey, entrepreneurship, it, it can be a lonely journey. And and that that just that word lonely comes up again and again and again, um, because if you're the owner, if you're the, the person who's making payroll, there's just pressures and um, demands that, you know, can't be understood even by, you know, your second in command or your spouse or whoever else is kind of um, there with you. And so that's something that we really see as a need uh, that we, we aren't made to walk alone, that we're made to be in partnership. Um, and especially if you're trying to run a business in, in alignment with your faith, um, you know, it's easy to get distracted or disoriented in trying to do that. And so, you know, bringing together and finding a space, whether it be at, with a faith-driven entrepreneur group or a C12 or a convene, or there's all kinds of other ones like 
loneliness is also a social epidemic, right? We, we've heard we've heard the, the yeah, stats yeah. about that, but for entrepreneurs, particularly acute. Um, and so that's a place that we're really trying to dive in and say, look, we've got to we've got to be able to to shape culture, do so in a way that honors God, but that ends with us still as like people standing on our two feet that our families recognize as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is like just the the connection of that to the church. You know, we serve Christ following entrepreneurs primarily. So this is our kind of our audience. And so as Richard said, you know, the the church kind of hasn't been super in the game um, there. And so how do we kind of but yet usually if you're a Main Street entrepreneur or or, or not, you know, you're showing up on Sunday. And so how do we make that connection between pastors and the ministries of the church and, and what entrepreneurs need and the gifts that they bring, that they're not just a check or a um, someone to throw into the nursery, but that there's yeah. specific gifts that, that are brought by an entrepreneur. And so trying to kind of connect and even create some of those communities within the church uh, space as well. Um, so that's, that's three uh, quick, quick hitters there. Man. So um, I'm going to hit on all three of these in reverse order because okay. you are speaking my language on all of these. So <laughs> the first two quick comments, the last one I want to dig into a little bit. Um, I, I totally agree. I think one of the places where entrepreneurs can engage in their church is helping the church run more like an efficient business. And I'm not saying that to, to deep de-spiritualize the church in any way, but to use the same, you know, we could go back, where are we going? Drucker, Collins, Lincioni, like there's a lot of great tools that the church neglect and said, say, no, we're just going to, you know, play it by ear or whatever. And you've got a bunch of people that don't have clarity of their roles. They don't know how, if they're winning, how they're measured. They're not having good, healthy coaching conversations to level up and make the organization. But there's just a, a myriad of things that is absent in the church world that I think entrepreneurs can bring as a way of just advising and counseling pastors that, you know, they went to seminary to learn how to be a pastor, not to run an organization. So awesome opportunity there. We're, we're making a big investment in that area, bringing on a lifetime pastor to, to coach churches in that way. Cause we're, yeah. we're pretty passionate about that. Second yeah. thing you said is peer group. And uh, I think, you know, peer groups are, are kind of like entrepreneurship, like they're mainstay now. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you get into a peer group. And the thing that I'm noticing that's, that is really relevant to what you were saying is depending on the peer group you get in, I would say most of them have turned into co-learning groups versus um, like there's one group I knew. The One of the guys showed up and his business was suffering and everybody dropped everything for two days to get involved, like you've got 10 other entrepreneurs that dropped their own business, showed up at his office around mm -hmm. his conference table and uh -oh. turned around that business. And I'm like, man, that that's that's a peer group. We're in mm -hmm. it together. We got your back. Uh, we know what's going on at a, a really level. I actually had lunch with a guy today that had been in my peer group and he his business took a, a hard turn and he, he called it the long middle, but he worked his way out of the ditch in that business and did a phenomenal job. Uh, and, and he said, if I could go back in time, it would have saved me a lot of heartache if I would have uh, been more honest with the group sooner. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. um, it, it, our ability to come around him or hold him accountable or give him wisdom, you know, was, was only hindered by his willingness to be vulnerable with the group. And I think there's a, we can all get ourselves in trouble there. All right. I'm talking way too much, but here's the, here's the thing about trust. I've been thinking about trust a lot, Autumn. And here's why I keep, um, I've noticed that with all of the information that we take in, how much energy I spend asking Mm -hmm. myself if I can trust the source. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about the, the inundation of information and it being nonstop. And I think we've got an addiction to information. That's a whole nother topic. But now I'm wondering how much energy do I spend on a day deciding if I can trust the source that's giving me this information? Yeah, I, I mean, I heard a phrase and I, I, I think it's been around you know, for a little while now, but the attention economy, right? Everyone wants our attention. That's where the the dollars are. And then it's, what are you paying attention to? And is it trustworthy? Right. And so we're getting into kind of the the news side of things and the social media side of things. And, and so I think there's, there's very few, um, spaces now where there's just the automatic trust given, uh, where there used to be quite a lot of those, right? The churches, pastors, you know, like the theology yeah, that those coming yeah. at you. Okay, cool. You know, the, the, the word of the six o'clock news anchor, the, the government, like that, that was what it was. Um, and so there is a lot of attention being given to try to figure out what's true and what's lovely. And, and, you know, as believers, we're told to think on these things, right? Like what's true, what's lovely, what's pure. Um, And so how do you figure that out? And I think there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to build brands where you can just say your brand name and, and there's an amount of trust that goes with it. Like the one that pops to mind, and I know it's a little bit cliche, like Chick-fil-A. And I know Chick-fil-A, I know the chicken's going to be good. I know they're going to serve me well. Like, and I know that they're, you know, driven by a family with a certain amount of, you know, Christian values. Like, I don't, I don't even have to think about them. Right. You know, and, and so I think there's just that opportunity for entrepreneurs to build trust in that way. Maybe not on the scale of Chick-fil-A where it's just like system and soul. Like I, I, tr- I trust what they're bringing to the table. Um, and not that you don't want people to ask questions and make sure that they're following the right folks, but I, I just think that the integrity, the space is there for integrity to be a differentiator. Yeah. My, uh, my coach always said that being an entrepreneur is like a, wearing a tuxedo in the front and a hospital gown in the back. <laughs> uh, and I think it's a great just mental picture because um, like I, your, I'll use your example, Chick-fil-A. I don't know the Cathy's, but I know people who know the Cathy's mm-hmm. and their respect has not wavered in them. And I think that that's true. Like you kind of alluded to it with entrepreneurs, the people that we get to be building our things with, they see the hospital gown and the tuxedo. And so if the people that, you know, walk alongside them, trust them, then the people who see the people that walk alongside them, trust Mm -hmm. them. And that creates um, just a great energy to create a big impact in that company and the, in the community. 
Um, so that's why I love entrepreneurship. Well, you summed it up. Close, yeah, those close people that are walking right next to you who are also wearing the hospital gown and the tuxedo, like as entrepreneurs, we're going to have the most impact on their on the coworkers, on the COO. You know, the the highest impact for good or ill is going to come on those yeah. that we're working with mostly, and then that kind of, like you said, spreads out from there. Hey everybody, I've been talking a lot about this book, Renegades, as a book for founders. And it is for founders, but a little secret, I also had in mind the people that work with or survive working with a renegade. They feel like untamable human beings. My hope for you is twofold. One, that you would actually be able to understand what's happening with that renegade a little more deeply to be able to bring some sympathy, some empathy. But also, number two, I think if you understand it better, you can actually understand why you are massively valuable for the organization to catapult past the capacity of that renegade. I'm not saying that the renegade doesn't matter and needs to get out of the way, but we need their energy to be a renegade while the organizations that we're part of mature into our possibilities. Talking a lot to founders and renegades, but if you're not one, this book may also be for you. If you find yourself surrounded or, or in a working relationship with somebody that feels like a I would love for you to join us in this journey with this book. And I would love to hear from you uh, how it impacts your life. You can put your email in the link below and we'll put a furry first chapter in your inbox right now. Book drops on October 17th on Amazon. I'm sure you'll see me back in your LinkedIn feed to tell you all about it. See you soon. If I could chime in for just a couple seconds too. I Please. Gotta, <clears throat> nothing I say will be reliable. So I'll keep going back to Bible just because that's the only thing I will say that's reliable. Uh, <laughs> and, and so Matthew 22 talks about, it, it's famously referred to as the great commandment. And, and in that it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love neighbor is Matthew 22, the great commandment. And then Christians are also beholden to, um, this verse in Matthew 28, famously known as the Great Commission, where Jesus, post-resurrection, looks at his disciples and says, Hey, all authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you've got this great commandment, this great commission. And I think one of the greatest myths that the modern-day church has believed, and so this is kind of getting to the point y'all were riffing on there, is that the Christian work and, and doing good things is reserved for Sundays or it's reserved for the pro-Christians. It's the, you know, the, the folks who have heard the call to go become pastors or yeah. missionaries or things like that. And I just think that is such a lie because entrepreneurs are cultural change agents. You know, you guys keep saying the word brands they are getting invited out to go build these brands, products and services that people know delight from benefit from, and they get to live out, love God, love neighbor in the midst of that, business practice, whether it's internally with your employees, suppliers, vendors, whatever that looks like, but then also externally with their customers and what they put on social media and how their brand is perceived. And they get to live it out over, I mean, overseas as well. And we could go into, you know, a long conversation on what it looks like in terms of the number of formal Christian missionaries there are in the 1040 window, which is this kind of 
area and part of the globe that is unreached with, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ. I think it's 40,000 formal Christian mis missionaries are over there. But if you were to look at the number of Americans in business over there in this part of the world, I think it's 2 million Americans are in business in this part of the world. And so if you oh, use, wow. use Christian demographics and a third of them are born again Christians and maybe a third of that number actually take their faith seriously, that's 200,000 additional missionaries in parts of the world that have never heard the gospel before. And these people could just be living out their faith and being cultural change agents. And so that's, you know, just when I think of culture and reinstilling trust, the call to the Christian is to love God, love neighbor. The entrepreneur gets to go be a cultural change agent. And there's so many avenues to them where they get to infiltrate this love of God and love of neighbor in their action. You know, I, a pastor here in Austin where my wife and I live has this great line where he's like, y'all, the only time I even mixed in it, y'all, there's my Texas coming up. Um, he says, the only time I get to interact with non-Christians, people who don't share our faith is when I'm at like the gas pump, but it's the people in the workforce who get to be salt and light and, and just like get to be these cultural change agents and actually interact with people of different faiths, different beliefs, and just, and love on others. Um, he goes, my job is to equip you all to go do that throughout the week and entrepreneurs can then get to go do that during the week. So, yeah. I love that. I'm going to put both of you on the spot to wrap this up. And here's, here's a question, Richard. Um, if you, uh, if somebody out there is, um, resonating with the conversation, but maybe has never interacted with FDE or FDI, you're going to tell them where to go. And autumn, if somebody is not resonating, but super curious about our conversation today, what would you advise them to do? Hmm. Great questions. Well, I would say first and foremost, faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. If you find yourself to be in the creating phase, the entrepreneurial phase, maybe you're in, you know, an, you know, working for Apple, Google, whatever it is, but you find you have that entrepreneurial itch and you're wondering what, what does it look like for others who have taken leaps? So that's faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Um, and then maybe you're an, an investor of any kind, financial advisor, you know, professional investor, like a, a fund manager, or maybe you represent a family office or you're just an individual investor. Um, faithdriveninvestor.org are places where you can discover, hey, is this movement taking place in my local context, wherever you are across the globe? Um, you know, by the grace of God, the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor podcast have been downloaded in 185 countries across the globe. So this is, this is taking roots in all different contexts and geographies and regions. And Autumn does a lot of work to circle momentum and get people circled up, whether it be in an Atlanta, Georgia binge, like the event you're going to speak at. And so, um, We've got this online presence so people know they're tied into something greater, but we really love when this movement goes local to specific churches and specific communities. So start online, but then quickly discover if you can take um, what's going on here into your own backyard. Love that. Thank you. Autumn? Yeah, I guess um, if you're not resonating, I, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one, I'd recommend like just reflect like what what's not hitting you well and kind of think through that and um then two i'd say like reach out to if you're an entrepreneur or an investor to other entrepreneurs and investors to have that conversation and of course one way you can do that is through an fde or an fdi um group but i think one of the things that we know is and, and richard said it beautifully at the beginning like movement's not prescriptive and so there's going to be a lot of people that are um 
you know, on the same road, but in different lanes. Right. And so I think there's room to wrestle and have conversation and we'd love to do that alongside you. There's ways to reach out on our website or you can um, shoot us an email and we, Benji, we can share our emails. Maybe you can, is there show notes? I've always wanted show to say notes. that. We'll drop yep. that in the show notes. Drop it in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> we'll you got to say it at least show. once an episode. <laughs> there we go. Uh, right here at the end. Um, but yeah, I would say like sit with what's not resonating and kind of have a conversation with someone that you respect, either entrepreneur or investor and um, bring the wrestle to, to a group if that's something that you think would be um, yeah. beneficial to you. Yeah. Well, thank you both for the work that you do for the listener that is streaming this audio only and can't see my face. I've had a permagrin the whole time because I do resonate <laughs> with what you guys do. So thank you both for your work. And we will make sure that people can find you, um, as you, as you sent, said, uh, stated there, and we will get it in the show notes. Uh, Richard autumn, thank you for your time and your energy, not just coming on and hanging out with us and having this conversation, but also the work that you do, uh, nine to five. Yeah, Benj, thank you, man. And to System and Soul and everything you're building. And it just, it's from afar, just like hard not to be a fan. So just love your approach. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Listener, until next time, have a great week. <laughs>